the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network, the world for people who think. Hi, and welcome to Behind the Headlines on the South Radio Network. I'm Joe Quinn, and with me this week, as usual, are my co-hosts, Neil Bradley. Hi. Harrison Kelly. Good day. And Don Martin. Hello. This week, we are going to delve into the deep state a little bit. Uh, it's a murky place. It's quite... I'm going to take a dive. Take a dive. Uh, it's quite, um, it's quite deep. Yes, it's a profound, dark, murky, scary place. Well, yeah, it actually is if you think about it. Uh, if you go far enough down the rabbit hole, um, but we're going to look at it specifically in the context of uh, Donald Trump, Donald Trump's presidency, and um, um what has been going on basically over the past few weeks uh, or a few months really since he was elected and why there is so much um, um, resistance to him what's really wrong with him is it really just his uh, really just his orange face and his orange hair and his unpresidential demeanor or is it uh, is it something else yeah this this is not a normal presidency at least it's not normal for most people still alive today. Um, there are some historical similarities with presidents in U.S. history, but um, Trump is unusual. So I think we just want to revisit and just clarify a few things. Uh, more for personally, for my own sake, because I'm like trying to. It's very easy. Look at this way. It's very easy to fall into confluence with. Um, especially if you have a good idea of what the U.S. government and corporations in general get up to around the world, it's easy to fall into confidence with just, you know, lumping Trump in with it. He comes from that kind of background anyway. Businessman, successful New York businessman, um, international interests, just like lots of other successful billionaires in the U.S. So... Why, why bother even separating them at all? Well, part of the reason we do this is because some people, other people, in the U.S. especially, are, are doing, they're actively doing that. They're making a big show in an extremely public way of separating Trump from the rest of them. If he was simply just one of them, it would be a simple matter. They would give him a relatively free ride. They might criticize here and there, but they would, in broad strokes, be helping his presidency along. It would be nice and easy. There would be no conflict. Or seeing the extreme opposite, something that hasn't really been seen in D.C. probably since JFK, and really that was very brief because we know what happened to him in the end just after three years. Um, before that, you might have to go back to the 19th century. So it's worth... I think, right. 
looking at the... Yeah, there's obviously something going on because, I mean, look, if you want unpresidential, that's one of the things that seems to be a major problem for, for the media, and uh, it's that Trump is unpresidential on all the things he's doing. But if you look at, I mean, really, if you look at the nitty-gritty of, of what what he actually is or isn't doing or what they claim uh, the problem with him is, it's nothing really that that unusual compared to what what you know what other administrations have done. Uh, but Trump seems to be being roundly demonized. And, uh, of course, um, you could say that one of the major things is that uh, the, the allegations of, of how he actually won the presidency and that it was Russian hacking, and that seems to be the main issue. But that seems to be entirely fabricated, and yet the media is running with it. Now, it's not strange that the Western media, especially the media in the U.S., would run with a fake story uh, and push a fake story for weeks and weeks or months at a time uh, of, of, serious, of, of real significance, a story of real significance. I've done it on many occasions in the past, maybe most notably back in 2003 when they ran with the uh, uh, story <clears throat> about Saddam's weapons of mass destruction, etc., etc., that launched a war. Mm-hmm. And, um, of course, the media, uh, that, that was the media that was doing it, and um, there was uh, plenty of opportunity for them to investigate it and, and an, an idiot, well, maybe not an idiot, but uh, you didn't have to be too intelligent at the time to realize that that story was totally fabricated and that, in fact, it was presented to the media, or given to the media, or was being made up by the intelligence community. They had, as a as the phrase was, the time they fixed the facts around the policy, basically. They just made up facts to suit their policy of wanting to invade the Middle East or invade Iraq. This was the intel agencies that did this, essentially passed this information, dodgy intelligence, to the media, and the, most of the mainstream media ran with it uh, for months and months, and, and, and Trump, you know, touted it from the from the highest uh, places. And um, so they have a history of doing this, and the media essentially has a history, seems to have a history of being in bed with uh, intel agencies and the particular agenda. Um this case, it's in this case, it seems to be um, their agenda is to demonize Trump, and they have basically resorted to form, which is to um, the, the 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 combination of the intel agencies and the media have decided to uh, uh, fabricate um, fabricate uh, uh, dodgy dossiers again. I mean that phrase. I mean it's been used uh, for this for the dossier. That, allegedly came out, or that was was created um, in January, that came out um, alleging that Donald Trump had all of these ties with Russia and all sorts of sordid details. Uh, it was called a dodgy dossier, and that term was used for the dossier that produced the Iraq War, bogus intelligence. So it's pretty much, it seems to be pretty much the same thing. Except uh, it's happening <clears throat> domestically. Except it's happening domestically. Right. To the president. Yeah. Remember the a core, a core component of the mythos of the exceptional nation is that the president is, if not all-powerful, he's very powerful. Right. And everyone agrees to that mythos. And it's just been shattered. Yeah, well... They basically <clears throat> say it. They're saying, without really saying it, that no, it's not true. And it never has been. He has no real power. He or she, if it was Clinton or anyone else, would have no real power. Yeah. Um, Trump is effectively between the lines also he's challenging that in a strategic sense because he's taking the mythos as, as true although i'm sure he's well aware that it's not true um as he went into it and uh challenging challenging them and he's challenging them with a view to doing something 
sincere. It'll be flawed, of course. <laughs> He's flawed. Yeah. He doesn't hide that. But that sincere challenge is to turn the ship of state around. He sees it's going off a cliff and going to take much, if not all, the world with it. So um, he's sincere about uh, at least putting the brakes on. You know, hello, cliff ahead. He's, he sees the cliff. And, right. Uh, he sees some, some, some problems, let's say, with the direction the U.S. is taking under the stewardship of this uh, deep state. And again... It probably doesn't take a genius if you were in a position with to have the information, you know, or to have to see where things are going, which most people obviously don't accept in a in a kind of local way. They see that their lives are getting worse, and you know, unemployment uh, and the general state of, of the country and the world is is going downhill. But um, if you're if you were like the president and you had an inside view on things, you would probably be able to identify some problems, and you would, or even if you're even if you're not. Uh, present, but you have an insider view in Washington, etc. You're probably able to, to determine uh, what the, what the problems were, and you'd want to change it. Um, so, yeah, just just and avert for, avert disaster were, effectively, huh? Yeah, it is averting disaster. And you know, for for those people who may not necessarily be anti-Trump, but who may feel disappointed at um, at the degree to which he's changing things, I mean. What's in front of him is a monumental task. Uh, he is being forced to uh, address accusations. Uh, he's got domestic issues with the economy, um, with infrastructure, uh, with legislation he's trying to put through, uh, all sorts of various things. He's trying to put out fires. I mean, he is under fire uh, from all sides right now. Um, so. You know, there's just so much time and energy and attention that that he can give any one thing. Uh, And I would just point that out to anyone who may feel impatient with um, with some of his uh, progress. Uh, It what what he's trying to do under the very best of circumstances would take a lot of time and a lot of uh, human resources as well, uh, which he doesn't have. Um, so, right. uh, the, the task ahead of him is, is monumental. Yeah, absolutely. Um, reopened with mentioning the, that term again, the deep state. Um, we, we've expressed astonishment in a few shows of late that, uh, there is, there is open discussion about the term, the use of the term at all is, is frankly, Astonishing after years of it being, you know, yeah. well, of course, hush, hush, either it's kept. Uh, but of course, a lot of them are poo-pooing it. You know, a lot of the media has poo-pooed well, the idea that uh, the Trump, can, you know, the Trump administration is using this sexy term, the deep state, and they don't even know what it means. And of course, well, hear this, hear this. In the space of three days, uh, there were seven lengthy op-eds in the New Yorker magazine, Salon, L.A. Times, Political, The Atlantic. The Observer, all about how there's no such thing as a deep state. And we have a couple of responses, very good responses to that onslaught. Um, by, I'm not sure by who, but bloggers, I think. Maybe a couple of smaller sites um, <laughs> pointing out that the arguments they use for why there's no such thing as a deep state were actually the, the soundest arguments you, you can make. 
for like, the very existence of such a thing. It, what, what, and when they showed that what it came down to in the end was the belief of the authors that, yes, they accept the, the existence of such a concept. And two of them, in fact, gave the same examples of countries where, yes, there is such a thing. Uh, Turkey, where the term kind of originates from because uh, an explicit substructure was, was built by the founders of the modern Turkish state in, to protect the core domestic interests and to ensure that Turkey remained a secular state, something which is itself undergoing a challenge, um, ironically, at the moment in Turkey. But, and also the other example they both gave was um, Egypt. Uh, so, it, 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 and and here you don't need to be like a conspiracy theorist to to to, to think. Well, oh, therefore the deep state arranged for these articles to go out to poo poo it. It, it. This thing can happen organically as well. You know, it people will will reject something like that because it suggests nefariousness, and in their belief, America is exceptional. Yes, I can accept the concept of a deep state and I can accept the concept of shadowy powers, but we're America, an open, free, democratic society, yada, 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 right. yada. And of course, that, that concept is very important to keep people you know, living in a dream world, basically, where they don't understand, they don't see the reality and, and they don't have a reason or an explanation for why things continue to go downhill and the world kind of continues to fall into into chaos uh, if they are participating in democracy and they're electing the people who apparently are saying the right things and who, who represent them and are invested in making the world and you know locally and internationally a better place but it doesn't that doesn't happen well the obvious explanation there is that the people who claim you or who you think have power or wielding power and are tasked with making the world a better place and seem to want to make the world a better place, uh, the reason they, they, they keep failing or that it's not happening is because they don't have that power, right? They don't have uh, the power that everybody thinks they have. And of course, it's very, it's classic. Like if you want to control the situation from behind, behind the scenes and you don't want people to know that because your intentions uh, are not very honorable, they don't jive with freedom and democracy, basically, well, then you need a front kind of you need a facade to that uh, to your power that uh, represents that while you do whatever you want behind the scenes and I mean so it's not again it's not you know like we say often on the show it's not rocket science but of course it's not just a matter of logical thinking it's a that this is a the problem really is emotional in a sense because uh, people don't want to it's, it's, it's unpalatable it doesn't feel very good for people to have to consider the idea that they don't really live in a democracy, that there is uh, unelected people behind the scenes who are running things and will do so or are doing so um, effectively against the best interests of the majority of the people, that they don't represent the, the, the people or they're not interested in the welfare of, of the people in any given country, you know. So it's hard for people to... People instinctively reject it and will... And that's why stories like you just mentioned, Neil, gain traction and people will dismiss this idea of a deep state uh, because it doesn't they don't like to think that that's the case. And if someone tells them, no, it's nonsense, it doesn't, it's, it's not real, <clears throat> it's not happening in America anyway, then people say, oh, okay, thanks, that's good, that makes me feel better, I, uh, that, that, you know, that there is no one working uh, behind the scenes against us effectively. But 
I mean, there are, in every country there are, obviously there are, one, any one government in most countries is, um, it's very short lived. It's four or five years. Uh, and new people come in supposedly and they're going to what? Change everything up in four or five years. Sometimes they only have four or five years. <clears throat> they're going to change everything in four or five years and then have it stick. No, I mean, the idea of four or five years for one administration is, is, is nonsense. It's ridiculous in the, in terms of any real change or lasting change being affected. How can you expect to do that um, in such a short period of time? Because um, a new administration could come in, a new group of people could come in and totally undo everything you've done. So, I mean, it's not a good recipe for progress or for stability or for lasting change in the right direction. Um, and, of course, we see that uh, that's not the case. Uh, we, we look to Russia and we see effectively that Putin and the people around him uh, at least Putin himself and his Prime Minister Medvedev have been around for, you know, almost uh, 20 years now. And uh, Russia has, over that period of time, certainly it came from a bad place, but it's definitely improved since then, you know. Um, and it seems that the reason Russia has improved in that way is because there has been a, a one person or one group of people with uh, a specific ideology that is in the interest of the Russian people in this case, have had the time to put it together, to implement it. If, if Russia was in the same situation, then it would be, it would be prey to any, these, any forces, any, any group of people that, that wanted to come in and their, their uh, conflicting interests, let's say, and you, would have, you wouldn't have progress, you wouldn't have the kind of progress that we've seen in Russia. Mm. But uh, in any country, uh, in, in those situations, we have four or five year administrations. It's not that you have have but that there are as a part of the infrastructure political infrastructure you have career what they're called career diplomats or career civil servants career high level civil servants and they've been there since they were probably you know in their 20s and they're now in their 60s so you know 40 years old many of them they've been there for you know in some cases 10 administrations or at least seven or eight administrations so that's a, that's that gets you into the idea of these, this, these, these forces, these people behind the scenes, who themselves realize what I just said, which is that, well, <clears throat> we can't leave the future or the running or the direction that this country takes up to just some guy or some woman who might become president. And if they come in with some crazy nut job idea, we can't allow them to simply come in and upend the whole thing. So really, the presidential uh, position in the US and in most Western countries, uh, the leadership of the country is really only a ceremonial rubber stamping kind of uh, position and what they're meant to rubber stamp is the course that the country has already been taking for a very long time and is meant to continue and so the question is in these Western countries uh, what is that course, you know and what are the intention of these people behind the scenes, well it's not a stretch or it doesn't take uh, a lot of imagination to see that if these people are unelected, they would feel that, well, they're safe and they can effectively, they don't really answer to the people. Uh, they don't have to take, their, their primary focus isn't the interest of the people of the country, for example, who might kick them out because they can't be kicked out because they've been there for 30 or 40 years and they're going to be there for, you know, and they'll bring up the next, kind of, they're bringing up the next generation, you know. So these people can do whatever they want, and ultimately, I suppose the for those kind of people, if you look at the world today, those people are driven by 
greed, uh, probably a, at the level of a sickness, a, a greed and a lust for the power that they have and maintaining that power and having control over people. And they have very little regard for um, the people of their own country or the people of other countries. It's simply about enriching themselves further, or gaining more and more control and power and maintaining their control and power. So, um, yeah. Yeah. E- even before... Um, but I was just going to say, the one thing I wanted to say before, yeah. sorry for interrupting you, that um, uh, the main, I think, the main service, even though it, he probably doesn't see it this way and it's it's not conscious, but the main service that Trump... Trump administration and Trump coming to power in the U.S. Uh, uh, offers uh, to the people of America and the people of the world is to expose this idea. It seems to be that's the way it's happened, is to expose this idea of a deep state, of there being another uh, group of people who are unelected and clearly um, when a Trump administration comes in and they're not happy with it, they're not going to take it. So that very clearly says, points to a deep state and says that these people see themselves as the rulers of, of America. Mm-hmm. Because when an administration comes in, well, he, it's, it's there, he's been elected by the people of America, therefore he should be able to do whatever he wants. But he's not being allowed to. He's being attacked on every side by, excuse the pun, trumped up uh, allegations of Russian hacking or election. I mean, you can't get any more pointed in terms of what their agenda is when they... Their main thrust is to try and undermine his presidency, the legitimacy of his presidency. And that's what they're doing right now. They're trying to undermine the legitimacy of him actually being elected. His election is, is according to them, illegitimate because he sided with Russia to subvert the election process and Hillary Clinton should have won. Therefore, these people wanted Hillary to win because Hillary was going to be that rubber stamp president of uh, and allow the continuation of the, the course that America has been on. Now, I'm not saying Trump is has wonderful ideas to transform, or is he, and, and has any ability really in, in that sense to to transform America and transform the world or anything into some kind of utopia. But the simple fact of him having a different opinion and thinking, or or taking the approach that well, if I'm the president, I should be able to do whatever I want, and if my my if I don't like the idea of there being these backroom kind of cloak and dagger people who are 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 taking decisions that I don't agree with, then I should be allowed to say, you guys have to stop, go away, I'm going to change things. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's done, and you see the result. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no longer is it um, people like us on the fringes, conspiracy fringe, um, theorizing about the existence of such a structure. Why? Because they stepped forward. They said, hello, we're here. The monolithic conspiracy is here. In the course of doing this, beginning last summer, when someone somewhere, people got together, and they decided we're going to beat him with being the stick of being a Russian agent or under the influence of Putin. And the amount that they've run with it, it's like they've got congressional hearings going right now. It's got this reality to it and goes, it's the deep state has itself stepped forward and it has shown its true nature in the process. Mm-hmm. The president elect 
in the period between being elected and becoming in, and his inauguration, the dodgy dossier. I mean, it was disgusting. They they hit him with essentially sexual perversion slurs, yep. namely that we know he was in a hotel in Moscow, mm-hmm. and they got prostitutes to pee on him, specifically in the bedroom that Obama had once stayed in. Right. Well, that just shows the, the minds of these people who would... Come. That was the theme, all Christmas. Yeah, exactly. Right after, yeah, well, right, yeah, right after, um, that was leading up to his... Inauguration. Inauguration, yeah, mm-hmm. in January. So, yeah, they went full, full bore and they came out with uh, these salacious... And, and even by the admission of the overt intel uh, agency representatives, that it, they were all kind of more or less bogus. But this is how these people work. Mm-hmm. They throw something out there... Uh, they come up with a, a fabricated dossier. And then they will distance and themselves. And then they'll allow someone to distance On a one-by-one basis. But they've seeded the idea. They've, they've smeared you. It's, yeah. it's once, once they've thrown the crap, then it sticks. doesn't matter how uh, what they say afterwards that, well, maybe it wasn't true. Maybe, you know. It's just, it's, it's, it's defamation, effectively. Once you defame someone uh, it, that very often, and you do it widely and it's covered by the media, well, then very often it sticks, no matter how many retractions or... Uh, denials of, of the veracity of it come out afterwards, it's that person you've been tarred by it, you know mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. they also they did it with Putin, they did exactly the same thing with Putin, have been doing it for several years with Putin, mm-hmm. uh, smearing him as a dictator and he shot down M- M817 with no evidence whatsoever in fact the evidence or the facts uh, directly um, contradict their allegations but they go ahead and make those allegations anyway, it's mm-hmm. just disgusting and uh, people paying attention will have caught whiffs of this in other scandals and quotes going back years and decades and all through history, really. Um, but uh, it, there's something, there's, again, there's something qualitatively different about this because this wasn't just CNN sites, anonymous intelligence officials who were not authorized to speak to the press, comma, and then the quote, whatever is claimed. Here we had all heads of all 17 U.S. intelligence agencies signing documents stating they were behind it. Of course, it's very cagely written, you know. We're not certain, but we've heard that Trump likes having hookers pee on him. Basically, that's what they're saying, and we've all signed it. All, all 17. And that's different because... It means there's concerted effort. You, you right there, you step forward and you say, we are a monolithic conspiracy. It's true. And we're total. There's no dissent among us. And it was important for them to give that message, I think, uh, primarily to signal to like-minded people, other deviants among them, other people who crave power in the U.S., of course. And here we're, we're out of any, we're not speaking of any, you know, semi-official or, or private groups, we're talking about the public legal authorities. I'm thinking first and foremost, Congress people, U.S. politicians. It's a signal to them to go, this is the party line, and you're going to get behind it, or you understand the consequences, right? And maybe, maybe things need to be said more explicitly to them, you know, in private, but in a very public way, the, the messaging in the last several months, and it's ongoing day by day, is, to, you know, Trump, we don't like Trump. You don't understand. There's no bartering or dealing to be done with him. 
if you do, you run the risk of being on the wrong side of us. Mm-hmm. And you can kiss goodbye to your rolling guaranteed access to funds, to uh, political favors, to media coverage. If you expect to get reelected in several years, you know, you can forget about it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, that's when I look at it, it's like the, you discount the, the, the Russian allegations of Russian involvement um, in, the, in the election, which are just crass and stupid. I mean, the whole world, I think, most of the whole sane world is laughing at America uh, and laughing at the Western media at these, with these allegations, and they see them for what they are. I mean, I mean, there's so many memes around these days of, yeah, Russia did it, Putin did it, Putin did it, you know. Putin, uh, Putin you know, spilt my cup of tea this morning. Putin did everything bad that I don't want to happen. It's just, it's a farce at this point. But they, apparently the Western media doesn't realize that they're effectively making themselves look ridiculous because they think they're gaining some traction with it. So you dismiss the whole Russian thing as nonsense, which it is. And then you're left with just the, uh, the kind of, okay, Trump kind of asks for this in a certain sense in that he isn't presidential uh, he, you know, he's brash and brusque and you know, he's got some, I mean, <laughs> you can say he's sexist and all, this, all these kind of things that came out, but they were part of the campaign against him. And you can imagine uh, what would have happened if the same approach had been taken to Obama or Bush or any, or Clinton or any other presidential candidate or, or presidential um, incoming president. Um if they wanted to, they could have done exactly the same thing against, uh, maybe with a bit more difficulty, uh, because, uh, like I said, Trump uh, Trump's persona lends himself to being attacked, but that doesn't make it any less unfair in the way they have been treating him. And so he's, he's unpresidential, you know. But then you look at uh, George W. Bush, eight years of him. If there was anybody who was unpresidential and who was just asking for and ripe for uh, the media to turn on him and tear him to pieces and make him look like a complete idiot, you know, and which would have been pretty much accurate. It was it was George W. Bush, but he saw very little of that from the mainstream media. George W. Bush, the idiot that he is, the idiot son of an asshole, as as a, there was a song written about him of that title. Um, <clears throat> he 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 basically was per, uh, portrayed and dealt with by the media as the legitimate president and they did their best to actually um, to cover up his obvious inadequacies and idiocies. Mm-hmm. So And even did. his his past. <clears throat> right. Like if the media <clears throat> were if the media would have treated George W. the way that they treated Trump, it would have been uh, like an event to to watch because there was so much on Bush. So much. Just yes. think about all the stories that kind of came out and that got covered up, like um like what was this? I mean, like his military history and his his drug use, yeah, and you know all his shady business deals. And you none of ima- that was brought up, right? You yeah. can imagine what they could have dug up on him that probably is available. Yeah. I mean, just assume that there's stuff that he has done that is on tape that could have been brought out in the same way the stuff on tapes that were brought out by Trump. <clears throat> it would have been he would have probably they could have made him look far far worse than they're and they're making Trump look, you know. Yeah. Uh, and even the stuff that that was put out and is available, like you've got you know little clips of George Bush, like when he was, I think it was when he was governor or whatever he was in Texas, and he's you know flipping off the the camera. Right. I mean that would have been shown on TV like every over day over for for two weeks, and or and then they'd come back to it repeatedly. Like every little thing like that, 
that even is in the public do domain now would have gotten so much attention. And it's not like, it, I mean, that stuff exists and it did come out, but it was never given any any media coverage. And so to, to just think like how how much George Bush would have been just pounded and nailed. I mean, they would have destroyed him. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what they're doing to Trump and never did it to, to George Bush, which says a lot. Right, which says that there, there's there's this power behind the, the throne on any administration that has been there for a long time, and its voice, effectively, is most of the West, most of the media, most of the mainstream media. And, I mean, we've seen how, how, the, how the media has been instrumental in massaging and manipulating public perception for a very long time. And that's their major major role, really, you know, is to serve this uh, these unelected officials behind the scene who have been uh, directing things for so long. And... And, and Russia is just very. Russia's the. It seems to have been the. Seems to have been decided on as the, as the, the kind of de the demonization tool of the day type of thing of the past few years. You know, and I was just looking at a website there at the Russian embassy website. You know, and uh, there's a number. You know, a telephone number, uh, that you can call to get, um. You know, to to ask them. Any any questions you want to ask them, and I figured like now is as good a time as any to to call the Russian embassy in I think it's in, it's in Washington D.C. and see if anybody answers, and so we can just discuss this with them directly. So I'm gonna. That's I'm a great idea, them. Joe. Can can we get some statements from them? And their I don't know. I'm gonna. About, uh, I, we got anything this? to hook up phone calls here? So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna try and get through here. Hang on. Great. Добрый день. Вы позвонили в посольство России. Если вы хотите заказать звонок российского дипломата вашим политическим конкурентам, нажмите Ой, один. Чтобы воспользоваться услугами русских хакеров, нажмите два. По вопросу вмешательства в выборы, нажмите три и ждите начала избирательной кампании. Обращаем внимание, в целях повышения качества услуг все разговоры записываются. You have reached the Russian embassy. Your call is very important to us. To arrange a call from a Russian diplomat to your political opponents, press one. To use the services of Russian hackers, press 2. To request election interference, press 3. And wait until the next election campaign. Please note that all calls are recorded for quality improvement and training purposes. Uh, hello, my name is Neil Bob. Um, I'm calling on behalf of dissenting Western citizens to inquire about the KGB Sorry, the FSB's election hacking services. And uh, we heard, thanks to our media, that uh, your government successfully hacked the U.S. election last year. So we were wondering if you could fix some European elections for us. Um, we're looking to get some pro-Russian leaders, maybe, in power in key EU countries. I'd like to know what you offer on a country-by-country country country basis, mm -hmm. um, starting, say, with the U.K. Yeah. Uh, can you arrange for maybe snap elections to be called there and then fix it for Jeremy Corbyn? Mm. Um, also, while we're at it, would you consider a package deal for democratizing, sorry, subverting the entire EU in total? Um, I would leave you a contact number, but uh, you no doubt already know my number mm. uh, and what I ate for breakfast. Absolutely. Thanks, and uh, 
Do svidania. There you go. Well, no one was there, but we left a message. Well, we left a message, yeah, so we'll see what happens. Maybe they'll get back to us. I wonder what they charge per country, per election cycle. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll start a fundraiser and see. It's probably going to cost a packet now. Yeah, I'm not surprised you can't get through to anybody. They're probably just, you know, they're probably being... Bombarded. Prank called or something by people yeah. all the time, you know? No, they're being swamped because, you know, now that it, now that the world knows that Russia can fix, you know, the greatest... Fix elections in the greatest democracy in the world, that means every democracy and non-democracy underneath that um, is fair game and would be child's play. So I'm sure they're getting calls from, you know, every other country in the world. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway... That was our April Fool's joke. No, it wasn't. <laughs> that was real. Actually, we're riding on, on, if anyone hasn't heard or seen this, you should listen to it yourself. Well, we just played the clip. But what you heard, the the Russian voicemail and the English translation, was the actual recording left not just the Russian embassy in D.C., but apparently... <laughs> it was it was left on for some time uh, at all Russian embassies. <laughs> Maybe not all of them all over the world, but certainly in the West on April 1st. That's the Russia's, <laughs> Russians' idea of an April Fool's joke, and it was brilliantly hilarious. Um, of course, the U.S. media most certainly did not find it amusing. In fact, I, I'm pretty not sure funny. most of them fell for it. I mean, they thought it was legit. Um, the idiots. Uh, and that's the kind of response that they deserve. Uh, humor. Mm-hmm. You, you, you basically sidetrack them. You don't engage with them in this respect. You just completely lampoon them. Because it's, it's the only thing... I was thinking when when I when I heard this, you know, this is the only thing that is going to get Trump and and or his people through this. Um, sadly, we're not seeing that kind of reaction because it's it's one thing to be a, a one removed from it, say in Russia, and uh, lampooning it from afar, but uh, for Trump and anyone else in the U.S. Um, actually facing these kinds of people that psychology head on uh it's a different it's a it's a different matter and so it, we see a situation where it would be a, a i think it would be a better reaction a better way of dealing with them to lampoon them in this way but mm. but it's probably a lot more serious from what they're coming exactly from. it's more serious they're not just being defamed in the media you know the trump administration isn't just, isn't just being defamed but there's obviously I'd say there's stuff going on. They're actually being, you know, stonewalled and blocked and in many different ways, you know, and yeah. so they're taking it pretty seriously, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, that doesn't mean they, they shouldn't be, make fun of the yeah. allegations, you know. Um, I've no doubt there, there are actual things going on, like the blocking of budgets, mm-hmm. the blocking of literal of one step after that, the blocking of bank accounts. Right. The letting... Individual people know that, oh, by the way, we're monitoring all your calls. Mm. Oh, by the way, we know about your conversation with so-and-so. It's okay. We got your back. You know, heavy blackmail. Yeah. 
We know that uh, there was a story recently that um, there's been a massive uptick in monitoring cell phones in D.C. There's paranoia going on such that the head of the congressional hearings into this Russian BS himself has to make quick detours in his taxi ride to make, uh, you know, to pick up uh, information. And even when he does something spontaneous and not pre-planned, they let him know that they're aware that he got out of his cab at X Street and that he went to this place to get these documents by mm-hmm. reporting it in the media. Mm-hmm. So uh, the stakes are very different, of course, when you're but up close and personal with this evil. Yeah, and the stakes may actually be uh, as high as they can get in the sense that, I mean, we don't know, obviously, but uh, the extent to which they'll take it. But if you take where the media is going, uh, where the media seems to be going and building up to it. And, and again, we're what, we're a little over two months into the Trump, into his very first year. Um, and already there seems to be a lot of talk effectively about uh, impeaching him. Now, if the Trump administration is taking that seriously, uh, which I suppose they might well do if they know who the people are who are pushing for this, that they're serious about this, and that's that's a that's a pretty um, pretty difficult position to be in, and you would be running around kind of fighting fires and trying to secure your position against being kicked out, you know, before you had reached kind of whatever six months that you thinking he may think that it's possible that he could actually be kicked out of the White House and kicked out of the presidency, uh, you know, before he reaches the six month mark, you know, because that's what's uh, being talked about specifically most recently. There's talk about. Um, General Flynn, who again, who was nominated by Trump uh, as his um, what was it? Um, National Security Advisor. National Security Advisor. Um, right after his, or even before his inauguration, he was t- he was tapped for for that job. But then he quickly was uh, kind of had to resign or had to not take the job effectively because of allegations again, surprise, surprise, that he had a meeting with uh, Russians, Russian officials, and talked about possibly, uh, he talked about Russian uh, sanctions against Russia, uh, sanctions imposed on Russia by the US. That's what he talked about. So this is being, this was used to prevent Flynn becoming a national security advisor. And now there's talk supposedly about Flynn asking for immunity, that he will talk to investigators on this bogus, ridiculous investigation, ongoing investigation into, you know, Russian hacking of our election and Trump connections with Russian hackers of our elections, blah, 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 uh, that Trump will talk to investigators on the, uh, looking into this silly, silly idea, um, as long as he gets immunity for everything that he says. Now, the media is speculating that, oh, you know, Trump could, or Flynn may have the real dirt here, he could just, I mean, this could be the impeachment moment here. Yeah. This could be... And just the fact that he said that means there's something there. Right. <laughs> right. So they are like wetting their pants, basically, at, at, this, at this prospect. It's amazing to actually see it, that this unprecedented attack on a sitting president, even before he took uh, the oath, before he got sworn into office, he was already uh, being deluged with, uh, pretty much across the board, apart from Fox News, uh, a media attack on him that is clearly motivated. I mean, it 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 wasn't even uh, covert. 
it was clearly a media slash Intel community attack because the Intel community came up with a dodgy dossier about Russia and Trump in Russia and Trump and uh, ties to Russia, and it was parlayed uh, everywhere by the uh, by the media. Um, so the CNN CEO said. Mm. If Trump wants a war, we'll show him what a war is. I right. mean, he threatened to, to do this kind of thing. Just but the question is, what's, what's his beef with Trump? What's the media's beef with Trump in and of itself? What, is because he's got orange hair? They think he should be impeached? They think they should, they should like, throw the country into chaos by forcing the impeachment uh, of, a, of a sitting president, a newly sitting president, um, on, on the basis of, what, uh, because the, he's unpresidential, because he said some... Just because they think well, that he doesn't look like a president, what is he actually their, doing to the media? In their terminology, he threatens their interests. What interests? And not the media exclusively, of course. The, the media is their corporations owned by you know smaller and smaller groups of shareholders. But he, he they would say they, he threatens their interests. And what are their interests? The media's interests are to tell the truth about what's going on, no, supposedly. No. Yeah, that's what everybody believes. Should believe. That's what they should be. Okay, nobody believes it. Nobody believes it anymore because they're a bunch of liars. But, you know, that. But the point is that, that that argues for them simply being a mouthpiece for people behind the scenes who do have interest that Trump is working against. I.e., Trump simply, the Trump administration simply deciding that they want to exercise the actual power supposedly invested in the White House. They want to exercise that power and take it in their, you know, use it to take uh, the country or take make decisions that that uh, are new or go in a slightly different direction. And for that, he is being demonized by these kind of individuals in the dark behind the scenes, and they use the media. I mean, there's there's no difference basically between them between the media, the mainstream media. Uh, chiefs, effectively, who decide what stories go out, and these people—they're pro- they're effectively part of the same, the same uh, group. So, yeah, yeah. CNN today headline: uh, it, This story. I mean, it's, this isn't even reporting. It, it, it's so full of suggestions. Uh, what we call paramoralistic suggestions. It, there's nothing. There, there's. There's nothing substantive there, but anyway, I'll read it out some of it anyway. And, uh, okay, so the headline is A Vortex of Questions and Tension at the White House. This is CNN. I mean, obviously, Trump has already called them out. You are fake news, absolutely. And right there, well, the vortex of questions and the tension at the White House is caused by you, <laughs> CNN. You're not objectively reporting on it as a disinterested observer. Anyway. The article starts, the pace of developments over the last day revealed the massive problems now beginning to pile up on Trump's White House as the president's personal political standing continues to decline after only three months. Yeah, thanks to CNN. Often, the buzzsaw of news, revelations and gossip about West Wing staff tensions tends to overshadow the significance of any day's events. Let's just take one story, the one around Flynn. The spectacle of an already dismissed national security advisor seeking legal immunity to testify about a scandal that is raging less than 100 days into an administration is without recent historical precedent. Yeah, caused by CNN. (laughs) And then they bring in, oh 
God, this guy is such a this this guy is deep state basically, right there. Whether he knows it or not, nothing to prove. They they cite David Gergen. David Gergen was like a journalist in the eighties. Then he was a advisor of some sort for Clinton. Back to being in the private sector. Then he pops up as an advisor in the Bush administration, and now here he is again as a CNN political analyst. And he says, it is deeply disturbing to have a president in the first hundred days to be embroiled in what may be a scandal. He knows so well there's no scandal. There's just the one that everyone's talking about. It's hot air. Increasingly, it appears that with General Flynn now saying he would testify if granted immunity, that, that really suggests very heavily there is definitely fire. And what we have been seeing over the last few weeks is an attempt to cover up fire with smoke. <laughs> cover up fire with smoke. So, God. So, it, it's... The, but Gergen is serving his role. His, his role is it's a whisperer. You know, I'm coming in here from one side. I'm whispering. I'm feeding, I'm feeding the non-existent fire with more smoke. I'm mixing my metaphors. But so is he, because he's an idiot. Um... That's the Flynn issue. And then, then there's also the, the this same article briefly touches on the quote-unquote failure of Trump's replace and re- repeal and replace Obamacare, Health Care Act last week. And they're saying that that was brought down because uh, the Republicans didn't support it in Congress. Um, here we have another quote. Is, this is from the House the head of the House Freedom Caucus. House Freedom Caucus. So it's basically, this is the, this is the problem. This is why when they said um, that Trump, oh, Trump's, he's, he's got clear sailing because he's won the presidency and his party, in quotes, has a majority in Congress. Not really. The people who, the cliques that control Congress, they're, they're nonpartisan. They're neither Republican nor Democrat. They'll shift depending on whatever's needed. Um, this is the Alabama representative, Mo Brooks, telling CNN that I hope the president will bear in mind that our caucus, our clique within Congress, is going to provide the bulwark of the support that the president needs on things like border security, trade agreements, and making sure that the TPP does not resurface in a different shape or fashion. Our support is going to be necessary for him to pass tax cuts and for the protection of free enterprise. There are major issues going forward where the president will need our support, and I hope he will bear that in mind. So, before even before you even need to enter a discussion about a deep state, you have the the regular structures. Yeah. <clears throat> do do the first line of defense to protect. The status quo. Yeah. But that's normal in the a certain sense. State. Yeah. I mean, the shallow state, yeah. Um, that's normal. That's an overt shallow state or an overt kind of a... That's part of, supposedly, democracy, right, where um, Congress is there to keep a check on mm-hmm. the White House and the, the presidency and, and make sure that uh, he doesn't do anything that uh, that harms the country or whatever. You know, of, of course, there's all sorts of, um, you know infighting and discussing and deals being made at that level but um and, that, and that's to be expected but it's this unprecedented rounded attack on the legitimacy of the government i mean you don't have to do that the media should not be doing that if if 
if there are issues with any of Trump's policies, then that's debated and laws are rubber stamped or not by Congress. That's what it's there for. Uh, you don't have to resort to a demonization of a president, and that points to someone else who wants to get rid of him. But before he even took the oath, they wanted to get rid of him. That's it. I mean, how, how could anybody know what Trump planned? How could anybody in Congress know what Trump was planning to do until he actually takes office and starts working? Uh, so there's something else going on there, you know? Well, here's the thing. If they're the irresistible force, then the fact that Trump is carrying on regardless mm-hmm. of all the unprecedented stuff that's been thrown at him, then he's the immovable object. Mm-hmm. Something's got to give. Well, neither gives in that scenario. <laughs> what happens? <laughs> well, I mean, there's a there's an extra a conspiracy theory plus you could go to, which is um, that ultimately this is going down the road of Trump. Um, you know, effectively being forced because of this massive resistance to him and dirty tricks and attempts to impeach him, that he would be forced to to take action that would effectively make him into what they claim he wants to be, which is a dictator. That he would, you know, use whatever powers there are invested in in, in the present or pass new laws or whatever, take executive action basically to to do what he needs to do and and giving them then the, the opportunity to say, see. He's a dictator as well. Not only has he got orange hair and an orange face, he's a dictator. Uh, he's an orange-faced dictator. So, um, and that would obviously, that would be the next level, you know. Um, and they may go there, and that would be grounds for then impeachment. But the thing is, if that happens, that's that's going down the road to kind of a serious social chaos in the U.S., serious political and social chaos in the U.S. You know, if you if they are seen to force the impeachment of Trump on these trumped-up uh, bogus charges. Uh, there's a lot of people who voted for Trump who are not going to be happy, and it's, it's a real, <laughs> seriously risky and dangerous thing to do, but the kind of people that we're talking about behind the scenes uh, have no problem doing that. They thrive on chaos and discord and, and civil war. They love civil war in other countries. Maybe they've got to the point where they're deciding that they'd like a little bit of civil war back home of some description. Mm. Um, in the meantime, I'd like to speak so quickly to um, something Finian Cunningham, uh, an analyst for Sputnik, who we've had on the show before. Um, he's he's fed up already. He's thrown up his hands. He's looking at Trump's administration from an outsider's point of view, namely what what's going on with U.S. military policy um, in the Middle East, particular, also in Eastern Europe. Uh, and that does need to be laid out. So there's been a massive increase, a, no, a significant increase. It's not massive in the sense that the, the U.S. is um, redeploying tens or hundreds of thousands of people, but there have been major troop deployment increases in Eastern Europe, along with military equipment and in the Middle East. Um, there's been a major increase in drone strikes. We've mentioned this before. Of course, they've flattened Mosul in northern Iraq, um, still going on. Uh, So in general, there's a very pronounced militaristic uh, increase in in military activity. 
in war in in wars. So, um, as far as as far as Cunningham was concerned, that's it. You know, w- whatever Trump says or intends, the results are what matters. And look at this result. I wondered though. And that flies that flies in the face of one of the, the things he didn't exactly promise, but he made it very clear that you know he was all about scaling down U.S. involvement, particularly in senseless wars, and certainly against regime changing and, and kicking out leaders and replacing them with other people. Um, I wonder though if what's this increase abroad is the kind of temporary result of this irresistible force and this immovable object meeting. And for now, the energy produced by that clash, if you like, spills out as it, as it would normally do, as it has done over the last century in the US, it spills out abroad. Do you know? Do you see what I'm getting at? So it, the civil war for now is at least dissipated over there. Mm-hmm. Over where? Anywhere else but America. Yeah, I mean, there's two ways to look at it. Obviously, we can't, you have to consider everything now that you hear about what is happening under Trump uh, in terms of is it an attack by the media? Are they now, are they now finally, uh, for example, if you think about the bombing in Mosul, um, is the media spotlighting that more because it's happening under Trump when they would have covered it up under Obama? You know, and are they trying mm-hmm. to spin things in a negative light uh, in terms of what Trump is doing, in terms of what the military is doing under Trump, um, simply because it's under under him, mm-hmm. because they want to get at him and, and make him look bad. But um, I mean, there were there were two statements this week from Rex Tillerson and uh, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley, who is the uh, the UN ambassador, right? And both of them basically said that. Under, as far as Trump is concerned, uh, there's no longer any investment or desire to remove Assad. Right. Which is pretty amazing. And I don't, um, to be honest, when I think about the way Syria has gone over the past five years, five or six years, most of it under Obama, pretty much all of it under Obama, which was basically ISIS, jihadi, nutjob mercenaries, flooding into Syria to try and overthrow Assad and the US standing back going, oh, what are we going to do? Oh, ISIS is doing bad things. We're so incapable of handling this situation. We just have to wring our hands and, you know, fret about it endlessly and do nothing. But Assad must go. But Assad must go because that's what ISIS is there for, to try and, as a proxy army. But, uh, so the idea that there would be uh, more troops, more actual US troops sent to Syria on the ground is not necessarily a bad thing in that context. You know? Um, if, let's say, they have, they're getting serious about it rather than sitting back and just funding the jihadi terrorists to, to, to destroy a country and create chaos in, 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 the, in Syria, they're actually going in to try and achieve actual objectives, you know, uh, that don't, do not necessarily involve letting not job jihadis run around slaughtering people all over the place, you know? Not that the American mm-hmm. military isn't killing people anyway when they have their bombing raids in, uh, in, in Mosul. Uh, they tend to be... They're, they're not as... Uh, 
skill, let's say, in military tactics as the Russians, obviously, because the Russians were able to liberate Aleppo without bombing the crap out of Aleppo from, from the air and killing hundreds of people. The Russians did not do that, and they actually liberated Aleppo in a remarkably short period of time, showing how it's done. American Mosul apparently can't do very much uh, very quickly, and the only thing it, it can do is have these incidents where it oh, accidentally bombs a tower block and kills 200 people. Accidentally, quote-unquote, or just, you know, recklessly. Um, so... But, yeah, having said that, that's, I mean, if you're going to be involved in air campaigns, that's what America does, uh, and bombing towns to try and get ISIS is going to cause a lot of civilian ca- casualties when it's America involved anyway. Um, well, but, yeah. Do you want to finish your point? I had something to say on that. Yeah, well, I was just going to say that um, it's possible that they actually are getting serious under Trump now. They're actually getting serious about yeah. trying to achieve a specific uh, type of... Uh, uh, closure or, or bring that conflict all, more or less to an end uh, to, to their liking or at least to, in, a, in a way that, that the Americans would, would be happy enough with, you know, rather than just sitting back and letting a civil war rage for another 10 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, something I've been noticing over the last week civil or two. Civil war, quote unquote. Um, yeah, because... Over the last week or two, um, there, Mosul has been in the news a lot because of these civilian casualties, and you're even seeing it in like the Washington Post and uh, other mainstream American papers. And one of the interesting things I've noticed all over the wire services and the, the big Western media chains is they are now quoting um, like Syrian Observatory for Human Rights and some of these other so-called NGOs in Syria and Iraq and they're all talking about how bad the U.S. airstrikes are. Right. So now all of a sudden we've got these what are you know propaganda outlets um, focusing on American war crimes. That's like point one. That's that's very interesting. On the other hand, you have some in the media now saying, "Oh, oh, well, look now we think the Syrian Observatory for Human Rights isn't that credible now." You know, there are serious questions over their credibility. Right. So now they're now they're saying that after the, after you know, SOAR goes after the Americans. So consider that now. Consider what you said about um, you know America kind of at least the American military kind of getting semi serious about um, fighting ISIS. If that's the case, like you also said, um, that wouldn't mean that the Americans would all of a sudden change their you know military capabilities and even just practice. So yeah, even if they're serious, that still means they're going to be bombing. Um, you know, a ton of people and killing a lot of civilians. That probably just goes without saying. But if you look at the media representation of it, um, you know, I'd predict not necessarily that it will happen, but as a possibility that these kind of N- NGO, you know, fake NGOs like Syrian Observatory will then be turned to uh, to use to demonize Trump. So anything Trump does basically is going to to be criticized. So if he gets serious about fighting ISIS, all of a sudden the Western media is going to sudden suddenly become, um, you know, the these champions of of human rights and and pointing out how horrible you know Trump's war against ISIS is. Uh-huh. And uh, so you know I can at least see that happening. It, you know it looks like it's actually kind of happening in this last week already. And then you just have to factor in that. Um, just just look at what the, the Western politicians and media did um, with regard to the Russian actions in Aleppo. Because what was going on in Aleppo, you were dealing, you know, Syria and, and uh, Russia and, you know, everyone else that was fighting with them 
we're basically fighting this kind of super devious, deviant um, terrorist organization and groups and, you know, loose federations of terrorist groups that would do like heinous things and completely mendacious things. So that would, you know, that that wouldn't preclude actually killing civilians and then filming it to me and then saying it was like a Russian bomb, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a Russian airstrike. Like these are, I mean, the, the kind of the worst kinds of, you know, call them false flags or just outright deceptions in order to demonize, um, you know, Russia or Syria w mm -hmm. were could and were being used and done. And then the American media was picking up on that and, and they're just going with it. Mm -hmm. Now, so keeping all that in mind and keeping even keeping in mind the U.S. military's just history of indiscriminate, you know, bombing and killing civilians, you also have to keep in mind that in Mosul, for example, there's the same types of guys like these ISIS guys in Mosul that are doing the same things. And so that's why I think that the that the recent statement by the by the Pentagon was probably at least semi-accurate when they said that 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 uh, I think it was the big airstrike that, you know, Mm -hmm. killed like 200 people or something like that they said whoa well we've got video that we're going to release that shows that the you know that isis actually directed all these civilians into that area and then set up shop on the top of the building and started firing mm -hmm. in order to provoke an airstrike and mm -hmm. and that the munitions we used even weren't you know couldn't have produced the damage that was done so we think that that they set off a truck bomb next to this building mm -hmm. so it's really it's really a you know Trump and the American military are really damned if they do and damned if they don't, because no matter what they do, even if they were to change their their strategy and try to minimize, you know, civilian deaths as much as possible, they're dealing with, you know, people who who know that, first of all, and who are desperate and who will therefore use all of these tricks in order to to get this this, these kinds of atrocities into the media, which will then just further hampen any kind of American and Iraqi strategy. Because, I mean, Iraqi, um, like, military leaders and politicians are saying the same thing. They went even further and said, oh, the Americans didn't do anything. It was all ISIS. So, I mean, you can't really trust anyone in, in a war like, like that. Like, you have to look at the evidence as opposed to just trusting their statements. But it's it, just looking at the kind of overall picture, it's really kind of messed up. Um, and we'll just continue to get even more messed up mm -hmm. because there's just so many kind of conflicting and contradictory motives and practices and agendas. And, um, you know, so it's kind of, you know, what do you, as Trump as Trump, you know, what do you do? Mm -hmm. It's like, what can you possibly do without, uh, you know, being criticized on some level? And especially when you've made a campaign promise to, you know, defeat ISIS, you know, totally. Mm -hmm. Maybe you just ignore all the media and just go for it. And then, you know, hope that once the, you know, if and when you're actually able to fulfill your objective, you know, people will be happy enough with that. I don't know. Yeah. Well, Trump, uh, Trump was one of the few people to say that. Um, the Russians uh, and the Syrian Arab army were successful in uh, in routing out ISIS and other groups in Syria. And, uh, of course, he was vilified for that. Uh, getting back to the statement of Rex Tillerson and Nikki Haley uh, that uh, there would no longer be this strategy of trying to oust Assad, um, it's interesting to hear um, Lindsey Graham and, and our favorite psychopathic senator uh john mccain come out and say well this will be this will be very unproductive in in mm -hmm. our efforts to get rid of isis 
I mean, you know, a, a more incorrect statement could not be made about the entire situation and uh, and is also uh, indicative of, of, you know, he is the voice of the deep state. He is the voice of uh, the think tanks and the, uh, the military industrial complex and the neocons that would rather uh, perpetuate a war, oust Assad, put ISIS in or, or some form of it. Mm. Uh, in control of various places only to destroy it later when, you know, when the situation on the ground is more controllable for U.S. interests, I think. Um, so it is a complicated situation. You know, on, on the other hand, uh, you have had, uh, even in recent days, uh, Iraqi military coming out and saying things like, you know, after, after we route ISIS, we want the U.S. out or we will attack you. Uh, you know, I think this was a statement made by the leader of the the popular military of Iraq. Yeah, the Shia militias. Yeah, so you know there there is this understanding that um, at least up until very recently, there has been this very reckless, if not intentional, kind of you know we'll, we'll blow up everything and let God sort them out type uh -huh. mentality on the part of the U.S. military in in Mosul. Um, yeah, so it is very complicated. What do you call it? McCain, yeah, McCain and Graham said that uh, this shift in, in policy under Trump of not wanting to remove Assad, which obviously everybody should, everybody with half a half a brain should understand that it's actually a, a positive development because it's it was Obama's plan under Obama or the the deep state under Obama uh, their plan to remove Assad that led to the has led to the five years six years of of slaughter in Syria by the jihadis who are supported, have been supported by the U.S. and by Saudi Arabia and Qatar. Anybody who, who, who understands that, and it should be understood, who sees this shift away from Assad Moscow under Trump, see, should see it as at least as, as positive as things can get these days. But uh, Graham and Senator Graham and McCain, they called it uh, crushing news. It was crushing they were crushed, personally crushed by that news that Assad won't go. I mean, can you imagine after six years of the Assad Moscow refrain that has led to the deaths of, of 300,000 people um, in Syria on the watch of America with the help of America and its allies in the Gulf? He calls a move away from that policy crushing news. And he said that they said that it was um, that this would. I mean, bizarrely, you know, in 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 Mumu land where those two guys live, uh, this will now help ISIS. This was this will aid ISIS somehow, like allowing Assad to stay, not trying to force Assad out. When Assad, along with the Russian military, this the Syrian government, or the Syrian military under Assad and the Russian military, have been really the only force in Syria that has dealt any significant blows to ISIS. Somehow allowing them to stay in McCain's world means or allowing Assad and, and Russia to continue doing what they're doing will somehow help ISIS. So yeah, they live in a bizarre world where everything is back uh, upside down and back to front. But um, yeah, those two guys are obviously spokespeople for ISIS, you know. Just a direct quote from McCain. He said, um, Syrian people can't decide the future of their country, quote, when they are being slaughtered by Assad's barrel bombs, mm. Putin's aircraft, mm. and Iran's terrorist proxies. I mean, it, it's exactly 
the opposite of the truth uh, from what we understand. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. and we shouldn't get into a Faustian bargain with Assad and Putin. Of course. Um, so, Really, I was thinking the other day, who, who, who are today's deep, deep state people? I mean, if we can put faces and names to them. George Soros is mentioned a lot because he funds NGOs and so on, but um, I'm not sure. Like he's not he's not in and out of the Pentagon, you know. He's not quite got the same kind of access. Maybe he does in 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 other halls of power. But the reason I was thinking about who is the deep state today was because I've been reading a great book um, on Alan Dulles, the Incubus of Intervention. Conflicting Indonesia mm. Strategies of JFK and Alan Dulles by Greg Pulgrain, I think he's Australian. Um, I'll, I'll say a bit about the book, but first I'll say that McCain and Graham, when they say they're crushed, it sounds ridiculous. Given the narratives, <clears throat> we're trying to place their feeling of being crushed <laughs> in but uh, these guys are, are speaking from the rarefied atmosphere of long-term strategic planning. So what is an otherwise relatively minor hiccup? Oh, Assad. I mean, he's the leader of a relatively small country. What's the big deal? You know, that's what you're thinking. Come on. I mean, there's other countries. There's other problems going on in the world. What is, why is this so important? Well, because it's only a piece in the context of something else, which the public's not privy to. And what we've talked about a lot in the show. Yeah. Long-term strategic planning. It's, it's, it's a funny thing, you know, we've talked about psychopaths in power and these guys, McCain, obviously, Graham too, I mean, they exhibit psychopathic traits. Um, but sometimes there's overlap and, and it doesn't, that description doesn't quite fit because one one of the key things that's said about psychopaths is that they're unable to conceive long-term, or at least they do in a very different way to normal people. They, they don't plan well because everything is basically like a present. Future and past become fluid, like facts, you know. Um, but it's clear when you look at the deep state in history, Alan Dulles, for example, that... Um, Whatever qualities they lack, they more than make up for in other ways. And Alan Dulles was a strategic mastermind. Um, the reason for his conflict with JFK is, is very clear when seen in the context of the 40 years, 40 years really, that he effectively managed U.S. government policy right. alone from the shadows. Not alone, of course, but he, he could have done it alone. He had help, but he didn't really need any. He was a key. He, he was a key um, member of personnel, I suppose, of this deep state between Wall Street and specifically Rockefeller and um, the White House and Congress. Along comes JFK, and he's a problem. Dulles was crushed by JFK. He would have expressed <laughs> the same sentiments, maybe not publicly. He was a lot smarter than McCain and and Graham. He's probably privy to a lot more than they are. Um, this uh, this book's very interesting because Indonesia. You don't think of JFK and Dulles in connection with Indonesia. In that part of the world, you think of them in connection with Vietnam. Mm. A big war ended up happening there. 
and the two supposedly butted heads over, well, Vietnam, of course, and Cuba. This guy, though, Pugrin, makes a great case for Indonesia being the real, or not, maybe not the real, but the the next biggest concern of those. He wasn't so much concerned about JFK um, sabotaging their intentions in Vietnam because Vietnam was only a bulwark a against stone, yeah. developments in Indonesia. Their mm. real interest was Indonesia because after China and India and then the U.S., Indonesia is the fourth most populous country mm-hmm. on earth. Um, it was making a break for decolonization, independence at the time. And uh, the U.S., through dollars specifically, uh, on behalf of Standard Oil and other Rockefeller interests, were key to key behind key players behind the scenes in creating the modern nation state we know as Indonesia. No such country existed before. Um, it had been under some form of colonial management by the Dutch for over three hundred years mm-hmm. prior to that, and then the Portuguese before that, and then. Um, the U.S. was all over it. And I realized in the course of studying this one particular case that they were all over decolonization everywhere. They were mm-hmm. effectively brought in as managers, as consulting party, um, throwing money at independence groups. They realized this was happening anyway. Let's let it happen and take over European interests all over the world. Yeah, um, well- I mean, in, in Indonesia, they um, they got rid of uh, they they there was a regime change there in in nineteen nineteen sixty. Sukarno, the democratically elected uh, president of uh, Indonesia, was was overthrown in a U.S. backed coup by you know as quote unquote rebels, mm-hmm. kind of like Syrian rebels, and Suharto was. Uh, was was installed as a dictator basically, and for the next twenty twenty five years, he basically ruled with a uh, a bloody hand, basically, in, in Indonesia, um, and that was basically and an open the, checkbook, right? Exactly, and that was fully supported by the by the by the by the US, and, um, and I that, mean that was all in the context of um, it was all under cover of the war of, of the Cold War and fighting communists. I mean, right. uh, uh, right. Sukarno was labelled as a communist, and blah, blah. Everybody was labelled as a communist. I mean, there were right. people were overthrown across the world. By U.S. or U.S. interests or with U.S. backing uh, on on justification of yeah. he's a damn commie, you know. Um, there was I remember reading it, the guy. It, it happened in 1965. It it <coughs> couldn't have happened unless Dulles got rid of JFK first. Yeah, he had to get rid of JFK first, and and that was Hogan shows why in order to, to make to prosecute the Cold War to, basically to, to regime change. He wanted regime change. He wanted regime he wanted Sukarno gone. And he couldn't do that with JFK in the way because JFK was planning to meet Sukarno and throw hundreds of millions at him yeah. of U.S. government money, but for a different purpose. Well, to support him as the democratic elected leader of, of, yeah. of an independent Indonesia. Yeah. But uh, it wasn't – they had to get rid of JFK because JFK stood against their entire – the deep state's entire um, – 
kind of belief system or their, their, their agenda, which was to have a regime change to remake the world in the image of America or in the image of American companies, which was to, or corporations, which was to basically overthrow any government in the world that uh, was sitting on resources that American companies, American corporations, and the American government wanted access to, and anybody who had any kind of a liberation movement or any democratically elected government anywhere in the world during that period of the Cold War uh, was to be overthrown covertly and sometimes overtly by the American military or the CIA or you know covert operations in the interests of America to make America to make sure to, to continue the growth of America as the, as the global hegemon basically that everybody had to bow down to. And, and, and tip mm. their hat to basically and JFK had a totally different uh, saw, well, saw world peace basically as a obviously from a different perspective you know well he, he didn't know that w- he walked into a situation where there was a it, it was an agenda 30 years in the making yeah. where this Indonesia was to follow the sequence of events mm-hmm. and he walked into it and started to muck it up Inadvertently, he just wasn't aware of, of what Dulles wanted. And it's funny, you know, as soon as he arrived in the White House, Dulles makes sure JFK gets a briefing paper that gives him the understanding that he wants him to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, but uh, he's not satisfied with that. And then he starts to talk with and express a desire to meet with Sukarno in person. Mm-hmm. And Dulles was like, this meeting cannot happen. And, mm-hmm. And but it's not just managing. It's not just managing who a president meets, what he does. Um, it's not just sabotaging his his budgets because the budget for Indonesia was suddenly Congress was uh, directed to vote a certain way, and suddenly the millions that had been promised for JFK mm-hmm. for development in Indonesia. JFK here's the strategic thinking of JFK was: let's bring Indonesia on side in the Cold War. Mm. In other words, he accepted de facto the reality of the Cold War. Okay, there's us versus the East, uh, particularly Moscow, but also China. So, right, let's just calm everything the heck down and get Indonesia on our side. And you think, well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? That would fit, wouldn't it, with the CIA? No, no, because they had a very specific goal in mind. Indonesia was used to break up the Soviet-Chinese alliance, mm. and it worked. Mm. They ended up getting into a row that became a border dispute that became effectively a mini-Cold War that has remained, it lasted half a century and only just really in 2014 been reestablished. Mm. That was the ultimate thing they realized at the highest strategic level keep Moscow and Beijing apart mm-hmm. and it's only just been healed or seen through or they figured it out I, I hope to God well, the few, people in these capitals ago, yeah. I hope to God they, they both have studied this same kind of history Fair and realised that how brilliantly they were duped um, and that it won't happen again but uh, they, so it it's this kind of strategic depth and really there's very few people who have that so how would I wrap this up? A deep state doesn't need to be a sprawling conspiracy. It's really a, it's a, a person or a key, well, a I few key be... intelligent people who... Well, a lot of them, I mean, Dulles is a public figure. There's probably 
people behind the scenes who have never been public figures, never will be public figures, who are pulling a lot of strings. You know, when you're talking about uh, you're talking about financial interests there and uh, corporate interests as well. You know, of big corporations and of uh, in 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 the U.S. multinational corporations, effectively not just U.S. anymore, who are all uh, that nexus between the people of like mind in politics and uh, and corporations. You know, and it really was about. I mean, ultimately, you try and figure out a. Uh, what what's their what's their what are their politics here? What is their strategy? What is their what do they believe? What do they want for the world? And you can come up with all sorts of fanciful, um, you know, people have come up with all sorts of fanciful uh, ideals or notions that they ascribe to these people. But it's basically just greed. It's nothing more than greed. They want to dominate the world and as much of the world as possible, and whatever's necessary to make sure that they, in the center, let's say. Uh, of the world, i.e. in the USA, as they saw it, uh, they wanted to make sure that they main, remained on top and on top in a serious way, i.e. the entire world must bow down before us. There cannot be one person, one country, in any uh, anywhere in the world that has the means to challenge us. That everything that we say to anyone in the world must be met with a yes, sir, in one way or another. Uh, well, Neil, you were asking if uh-huh. yeah. I'd just like to comment on something you said there, which is, you know, you you would hope that China and Russia have learned these lessons of history, and you know, if you if you know that uh, Z um, is a is a student of history, uh, has written his own um, books that he um, publishes and distributes, uh, that he's really very literate and well learned. And if you've ever seen a, uh, some, some of the more obscure interviews with Putin, uh, the guy has studied history in depth. You're talking uh, about the Chinese the premier here, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Putin has looked at treaties. He has, uh, you know, he, he cites uh, various, uh, various agreements that governments have made and, and, and uh, gives really thoughtful, nuanced um, analyses of them. Um, and so, you know, when you were saying that, I imagine that at some point when the two leaders were meeting, uh, that they were probably exchanging notes, uh, about, you know, these realizations of how the U S has acted as this, uh, divide and conquer force in Asia for, for many decades. And, you know, we're talking about the deep state here. Um, part of the problem I think is that Many Americans have no clue, have no idea of the long track record that the CIA and, and various other groups from the U.S. have had in destabilizing countries around the world and and just how strategic and tactical and long term and evil mm-hmm. uh, our you know, elements of our government have been for so long. Mm-hmm. It's just not part of the calculus. So, you know, in comes this term, the deep state. Uh, you know this this shadowy uh, governmental or or pseudo governmental group of people who who wield all this power and control, and and it's very easy in the minds of some people to dismiss it as you know conspiracy theory or can't be as bad as all that or you know they're connected to uh, the Democrats who who have their own network and are just against Trump, period. Yeah. Um, but but when you take all of this history um, that that we've 
you know, we post a lot about it on SOT. And you, and you see how this has been done again and again and again. Uh, it, it all becomes very clear who the enemy of the Trump administration is and why and just how dangerous they are. And, uh, you know, as, as I observe all of, all of these developments and how much clearer it is that, uh, that there is this malevolent force going after him, uh, just as a metaphor, you know, I imagine a, the, the maw of a great white shark coming to just breach the surface of, of the water about to kind of consume and swallow up whatever um, unaware creature uh, that's swimming at the surface. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just like that. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's, it's that bad. Uh, and we're going to see a lot more of this maw. Uh, but the problem, I think, uh, at least part of it, and what we're trying to communicate is that um, people have to understand that it's a maw. Uh, it is what it is. Uh, they, they shouldn't confuse it with anything else. Uh, you know, if, if you misidentify this, this, these great predatory teeth with, um, you know, pieces of ice that are floating on the water or some, something else, you're not getting the picture. Um, and that's what, that's what all this fake news is, is obscuring right now in the minds of many. Right. Well, with the Indonesia, with the Indonesia example, um, I read that book too, Neil, it's really good. Mm. But one, well, one of the, like the big take, the, the big message that I took away from it was just how much of an evil genius Alan Dulles was. Yeah. If you look at how he orchestrated the whole thing, because one of the, one of the bits uh, that you didn't mention was that there was this giant, I think it's the world's biggest gold deposit that was found in West New Guinea. Yeah. And this was during the colonial times. And so then for like the next, what, like 20 years or something, this was 40 years. This was like highly proprietary. 40 years. It was highly proprietary information. Only a few people knew about it because they didn't have the um, presence there to be able to exploit and, and um, make the money and get the gold, basically. Mm-hmm. So what Alan Dulles basically did over this period of time was he, he directed events in certain ways and then cut off certain you know, trajectories in order to, to get that gold. And so first, you know, there was Doug Harmerschold who came along and wanted to, to give uh, West New Guinea independence. If that would have happened, the, the, the gold would have been theirs. Doug Harmerschold just happens to, you know, die in a mysterious plane accident in 1961. Then, um, you know, um, Kennedy comes along and is about to, to meet with Sukarno uh, to have this meeting to basically, you know, cement this relationship. And Sukarno is then going to be able to to um, at least solve the, you know, the internal problems in Indonesia for a while. And I think he was, what, scheduled to meet Sukarno like the week after he was actually executed. Mm-hmm. Like it was it was coming up very quick. And, oh, you know, now Kennedy's gone. And then finally, you know, when Suharto was in power after all these steps, because there were like multiple steps to get there, finally Suharto's there and, you know, they're given, the, uh, you know, West New Guinea is part of, Indonesia and all the contracts are given to, you know, these are the American corporations that wanted them. And Suharto just, you know, he gets a, he gets some, some dollars and he gives, he, you know, he just lets, you know, this, uh, this gold deposit just pretty much go entirely to, to the U S. And so in that context, it really looked to me that like the entire um, history and direction of Indonesia was directed 
deliberately and exclusively to get this gold, and that's all that really mattered. Right. And when you look at the the context in current events, you kind of try to look at that dynamic in in modern terms. You see that all of these big, you know, global or regional things that are going on, they can be happening for one individual goal that might be 5, 10, 15, 20 years in the future. Mm-hmm. And the only reason they keep going is because that goal is um, like the be-all, end-all. It's the yeah, ultimate. Right. And, and they will do anything to get that goal. And nothing, you know, and... That's just that's just it. So these conflicts just go on and on and on because right. there's nothing that we can do because they're they're just going after that one thing that no one really knows what it is because only only a few people actually know what the real goal is. Right? They're insanely greedy. It's a sickness, you know. These people mm-hmm. are. That, that's what it results down to. These people's policies and every action they take and the reason they get up in the morning and go to work, otherwise they'd just be sitting at home rotting away, is that is is to enrich themselves in some way or other. And if these people just get off on on, of course they're going to get some money, and a lot of them have more money than, than they could ever use. But when greed is a sickness, it doesn't matter. It's not about having more money. It's not about having another million. It's about getting more stuff. For you, for your people, for whatever you perceive that to be, uh, your small group, and just going after it insatiably, it becomes an end in itself. It's not that, um, you know, it, it it's not that uh, you know there's a certain amount of wealth that would satisfy these people. They're actually insatiable in that sense, and and it becomes a life strategy for them. It's 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 not even it's not, almost not even thought about. You know, they don't reflect. On, on why they're doing this. They're just driven by this insatiable desire to, to, for greed and domination over as many people as possible. That's what get, that's how they get their jollies. And you can imagine the kind of world that such people in power would create. Oh, just look at the world today. That's the world it has created. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, there's a pretty powerful documentary on Indonesia. Um, mm. you have it actually. I can't remember the title. Yeah. It's a, it's called um, it's got a funny title in making a killing in, ma- in the name of something something like that um, yeah. it's a it's an award winning documentary made in the last couple of years interviewing indonesian they're elderly gentlemen now but they were indonesian um uh, hitmen killers torturers in the 1960s after regime change operation began in indonesia and these <laughs> These people are absolutely, they're crazy. And Indonesia is still a basket case to this day. Um, None of these guys have been prosecuted. Um, The remnants of that kind of brutal regime are still there. I'm not not entirely sure what what exactly the atmosphere is like in Indonesia now. I'm sure it's a lot tamer than things were in the 60s. um, It's called the the act of killing. The act of killing, that's it. Um, Brutal but riveting. Uh, documentary. At least you get an insight into the psychology of this evil at the level of the lower guys, mm. the people who do the actual killing, um, and how messed up they are. Uh, <laughs> the, the the documentary maker he pretends. I mean, he pretends to be you know their friend. He's on their side, and he says to them, "So I'm interested in making this documentary, and you'll get to recreate how it all went down." Um, you can, you're going to be the stars of this movie, and that that's really appealing to the, this guy and his friends. They love movies, they love the U.S., they love westerners, and so they carry along and they reenact some of the things that they were getting up to. 
And it's bizarre because it's only in the course of doing so that they realize, some of them, how messed up what they were doing, what was. They were doing was. And that they were on the wrong side. Up till now, they were adamant. Well, it's because they were evil communists. And and you, you see some of them start, things start to dawn on them. Mm. Now, 50 years later, what they did, and they just break apart and then they just crawl away from the camera. And it's a, it's a very interesting documentary. And anyway, I'm... Um, I want to say something quickly about the, just the title of this book because it's kind of bizarre. Um, the Incubus of Intervention, where does it come from? Well, it opens with a quote from Dean Acheson, who was Secretary of State in 1949. <clears throat> and it goes, because we bear the incubus of interventionists, our official interest in and support of these elements, a vast and delicate enterprise should not be apparent and should be implemented through appropriate clandestine channels. That's the U.S. Secretary of State effectively saying we must conspire together. For regime change. Wherever it may be. And what a bizarre term for him to use. It's, it's like the incubus. I mean, the, you know what the incubus is, right? It's a mythological, diabolical entity. That sucks the life out of you when you're asleep. We must be, because we bear the burden of being this incubus, or is he kind of saying, well, we don't want to slip down this road, or because we have to do the devil's work, you know, we bear the burden, well... Well, the human mind has a, a wonderful ability to create bullshit narratives to justify very base motivations. <laughs> yeah. And that's what's going on right there. Yeah. I mean, people can write books of, of narrative to, that could be summed up in, in, in two paragraphs, you know. Uh, but people don't know themselves. They don't. I uh, came, I saw, I liked their stuff. <coughs> I took it, I killed all the people and I went home. And then I wrote a 500-page book on, on, how, on justifying the, the reasons for it and why it was good for humanity. Yeah. Um, and then ran for president. And then ran for president. Yeah. Uh, the world's in a bit of a pickle. Well, really. there was an interesting story this past week. Um, not not really a story, just a, well, kind of a story. Um, we had the FBI discovering some kind of glitch in their, one of their systems, uh, or so the story goes, um, that contained pictures of the attack on the Pentagon on 9-11. And Joe, you wrote an article about this, uh, I think, a day or two ago. Uh, and you've written a lot about it. Um, in the past. Basically, in the past. Uh, yeah, not recently, but uh, the ancient a past. lot of good analysis about that. And, uh, you know, as we know, the attack on the Pentagon is, is one of the Achilles heels of, uh, of that whole narrative that we've been told. Because, obviously, if you've really taken the time to look at the pictures... Uh, it's very clear that there is really very little to indicate that it was a, uh, a commercial airliner that flew into the Pentagon that day. And uh, it's been posited that something else kind of um, painted up or, or camouflaged to look like it for those who really couldn't get a good look at its size, you know, that there was a vague resemblance if, at best of a uh, American airline. Uh, mm. commercial airliner mm. there, there was some speculation and I'm, I'm you know just curious as to what we think about this 
that, um, you know, why now? It's certainly not the anniversary of 9-11. And just out of nowhere, we're, we're all of these major newspapers and, and websites are covering these pictures, many of which we've seen before. Uh, but why now? Why why show uh, these pictures that, um, why that have... would serve as a reminder? Yeah, of, well, that's what it is. All that. I mean, they were supposed. The official line from the FBI spokesperson was that they were put online in 2011, and then accidentally they got deleted shortly thereafter, and they only figured it out, you know, now six years later. And so they put them back up with today's date or, you know, the date of recently when they were when they were republished. And people thought they were new photographs, but they're not. But they're basically just photographs of the Pentagon that, you know, none of them showing anything, anything really new uh, that haven't been seen before. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting, maybe from a symbolic point of view, you know, maybe there's a new 9-11 coming in the, the USA, and it may, but maybe not in the form of... Uh, uh, so supposed jihadis and planes attacking buildings, but, you know... Equally, equally um, devastating in a certain sense, you know. Um, and it may, may have th- something to do with Trump or maybe a warning to Trump. Who knows? I mean, that's maybe stretching it a bit. But, yeah, it just made me... I hadn't thought about 9-11. I mean, it's been so long ago and it made me just look at <laughs> look at it again. And, of course, there's no slam-dunk evidence about anything on 9-11 in that sense. But um, it's all just very... Uh, it's all just far too convenient when you look at the context in which 9-11 happened and the fact that, you know, Western powers, uh, not Western powers, but American, kind of these deep state actors, I suppose, the, the front men for them or the people, the ideologues at the time, the neocons, Wolfowitz and Pearl and people like that, all had written uh, a document saying, we need to get our military big time and our military presence presence, presence big time into the Middle East um, uh, for keeps kind of thing. But we can't do it unless we have something like a new Pearl Harbor to justify it. And mm-hmm. one, one year, almost exactly one year after publishing that paper, 9-11 happened that provided that justification. Now, anybody, I don't care where you're from or who you are, that has got to make you go, wow, that's that was lucky. Those guys were lucky that that new Pearl Harbor came along to allow them, you know, in, in theory and potential to do what they said that needed to be done. But then the fact that they immediately went ahead and did it, and in fact there was evidence that they had been planning to do it, you know, planning the details of what to do well before 9-11 as well, it's all a bit, con- you know, convenient. And not only that, but the, the attack, the per- new Pearl Harbor that came along actually involved, you know, quote-unquote Muslims, and where the Muslims live, the Middle East, where we said we needed to go and that we needed mm-hmm. a new Pearl Harbor. So not only did they get their new Pearl Harbor, but they got their new Muslim Pearl Harbor in the sense that, you know, it was it was very specific in terms of what 9-11 was for. It was very specifically tailored to that document that they had published and, and that those people obviously had been talking about and planning for a few years, in fact, before 9-11. The 9-11 event comes along and it's perfectly tailored to implementing their plans. Now, if that doesn't make the average person go, yeah, I can see your point, then I'm, there's no point in talking to anybody about it anymore, you know? Uh, so the details aside, you know, in a certain sense, I mean, there's obviously details about 9-11. I mean, the Pentagon, it just, you know, really, uh, an aluminum-framed airliner punching a, a hole, you know, 
through one wall reinforced concrete and then five other walls of masonry out to the third ring in the Pentagon and and hardly any debris from the actual plane. Okay, I mean, that, that's understandable in a certain sense that a plane hitting a wall like that uh, would be kind of just blown to pieces, basically. But um, but the whole penetration all the way through the Pentagon, um, it just looks very much like a military. I mean, a plane doesn't act like that. A plane doesn't. A plane disintegrates on impact. The only heavy things would be basically the engines, but they would leave very clear marks from where they hit uh, on the wall, and there was no such evidence, really. Um, right, the, and, uh, but the rest, no of the, the rest of the fuselage with the wingspan of the plane. Right, but the rest of the fuselage, fuselage of the plane does not turn itself of, of an aluminum plane does not turn itself into effectively a DU bomb or a DU missile that can penetrate five, five you know, five masonry walls. Uh, it 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 just crumples into nothing, and with the with the impact against the outside steel reinforced concrete wall. Uh, the fuel ignites and you have a massive fireball. And then the, the, the engines, basically being the heaviest things, do a bit of damage and maybe go through a little bit, but that would be very obvious. But what you see at the Pentagon just doesn't make any sense whatsoever, you know? Well, the, the other thing about this story, which seems interesting, at least to speculate on, and Adam Gary uh, in a recent article discusses this, uh, it's just the idea that, um, or the possibility that uh, the opposite of it being a reminder from the deep state or a message to Trump, that there was the possibility that maybe Trump gave the FBI the okay to release the photos uh, that serve as a reminder of, you know, precisely this idea that the, that the damage done at the Pentagon, the actual damage, as you were saying, Joe, is inconsistent with uh, the idea that a, a jetliner uh, yeah. was crashed into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so You're kind of saying it's if kind of that's like, the case, yeah. I mean, if, if it is uh, a kind of Trump directed or at least somebody allied with Trump directed plan, uh, then it means that at least for him or, or those who are allied with him are, are very determined to fight back the deep state mm-hmm. in some sense yeah. by putting this out there. If that's, if that's the, re- the real reason it's been released at this yeah. time. If there's, and there's also the, uh, good, yeah. yeah, there's also, I think, I don't know what month, but I think it's later this year um, is the, the date where I think a whole bunch of the JFK records are going to be unsealed. Mm hmm. That was the plan, like 50 years from the assassination. They said they'd finally, you know, unseal a whole bunch of documents. So that might be something to keep an eye on. And they're all going to have big yeah. black magic monster yeah. <laughs> <laughs> strikeouts and redactions. In no, they're all going to say Putin oh, yeah. did it. Putin did it. <laughs> yeah. He went back in time. You can't trust that Putin. Trump's hey. meeting uh, Chinese Premier Xi Later this week in uh, Florida. For some golf. For some golf. They're bashing it, but it sounds like this was like uh, organized and arranged on the QT, hence the informal and sudden announcement, because these things are usually planned months in advance and announced months in advance. Um, Minor detail, but kind of telling, I think. Um, Yeah. 
Rex Tillerson went to Beijing last month, and apparently that's where the idea was struck that Xi would come over and talk to Trump in Florida this week. And uh, they, where is it now? He got criticised in the US press. Tillerson got criticised after for saying, yes, for using the terms, um, he was criticised afterwards in the press for repeating the phrases mutual respect and win-win solutions which, the New York Times reminds us, are drawn from the Chinese diplomatic lexicon and have been interpreted to assert a Chinese sphere of influence over the South China Sea and other disputed areas. What they're really saying is the US Secretary of State cannot be talking in those terms. Well, because they're un-American. But what they're really saying behind that is he better not start taking those words seriously. Because if mutual respect and win-win solutions actually starts becoming U.S. policy, that's the end of hegemony. That's the end of the whole project for we're on top and all of you are perpetually below. Anyway. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see how that all pans out. There's many a slip, twixt twixt cup and lip, as they say. Um, and we're probably going to see some slips, big ones, small ones, over the next while. Okay, folks, we're going to leave it there for this week. Um, we hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks for listening. I see all of our chatters have been furiously chatting and having fun in the chat room, so thanks for participating, guys. We'll be back next week uh, with another show to be announced. Until then, I hope everyone has a good morning, evening or afternoon or whatever it is. See you next week. Bye. Ciao. Bye-bye. Take care, everyone. <laughs>